where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. I'll be the first to admit that I love a little bit of Roundup in my life. Roundup in my life. Here now is your host. He is quite a character. His name is Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff. Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager, once again, writing solo in this episode. No guest today. For better or for worse, we will have guests again in the future. I'm working on that. Today, you just have me talking about a few important topics, and those topics are actually exciting. First, a segment that I will refer to as Fagan Files 3, of course, in reference to Oregon Secretary of State Shamia Fagan, who has been the subject of a number of Oregon Roundup newsletters recently, specifically regarding her conduct in relation to the elections division that is contained within the Secretary of State's office and its relation to a $500,000 donation from an associate of Sam Bankman-Fried, the alleged crypto fraudster to the Oregon Democratic Party. Then we'll talk about a story in the Willamette Week, a long story about how Loma County has lost population for the last three years in a row, and they interview a number of folks who have left and kind of try to come to terms with the fact that people are leaving that city. Even good liberals are leaving Portland, Oregon, it turns out, because of taxes and a poor quality of life. And then finally, we'll follow up with a story involving past guest Kevin Dahlgren, who is the homeless outreach worker who took that viral video of a homeless woman named Wendy saying that it's a piece of cake to be homeless in Portland. We had Kevin on the podcast a few weeks ago to talk about homelessness in Portland and specifically his interview with Wendy. It turns out that thanks to Kevin, Wendy's family saw that video and has flown out from Utah to try to lend her a hand. And we'll follow up on that story today. Thanks for listening. want to encourage you to please, if you're not already a subscriber to the Oregon Roundup newsletter and podcast, you can do that by going to Oregon Roundup slash substack.com and hit subscribe. If you are already a subscriber to the Oregon Roundup, which most of you probably are, it helps us if you also subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice, that being Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or something else. You subscribing there ensures that you get the podcast timely downloaded onto your podcast app. And it also helps other people find the Oregon Roundup podcast who maybe are not subscribed to us via Substack trying to grow the reach of this podcast and get the message out there, getting good feedback about the podcast. Definitely want people to hear us that maybe want to hear us. (laughs) And finally, if you are subscribed to us on Apple podcast or another podcast app and you like what you hear here, feel free to leave us a five-star review and comment. If you wish that really helps us be discovered by other folks who may be in the market for a podcast about Oregon and national politics like this one. So let's start off with Fagan Files 3. Bit of a recap for those who are maybe new to the podcast, new to the Oregon Roundup. 
or those that read what we've written about Shamia Fagan in the past and have other things going on and have since forgotten. In a piece called Fagan Files One, I wrote about a situation in which Shamia Fagan, who is Oregon's Secretary of State, of course, a Democrat, forced Deborah Scoggin, who was her elections division director, to resign after the 2022 election in large measure because Deborah Scoggin refused to bend the rules to allow a Democrat candidate in Oregon's third congressional district to file a voter pamphlet statement late. Anyone who's dealt with voter pamphlet statements knows that there are a bunch of rules around how that those things need to be submitted, very precise rules about the number of words, what counts as a word, when to make payment, how to make payment, and when those things are due. It turns out that one candidate for the Oregon, Oregon's third congressional district didn't submit her statement and the payment on time and did so a few minutes after 5 p.m. on the filing deadline. And Deborah Scoggin, who's in charge of the elections division and thus voter pamphlet statements, initially said, well, you don't meet our rules, so your statement doesn't get to run in the voter pamphlet, which is the correct response from the elections division and one that anyone who has filed anything late with them has heard themselves. But then her boss, Shamia Fagan, overrode Scoggin and made an exception to the rules in my opinion, violating the rules. I don't believe that she has the authority to make an exception. Went ahead and ran the statement anyway. And so that was, Fagan disagreed with Scoggin. She explained to reporters later that she believed that Scoggin failing to violate the rules to run the statement, even though it was filed late, was not good customer service of the elections division. So that, along with other incidents, led Fagan to demand Scoggin's resignation, which was ultimately submitted by Scoggin, and she, she no longer works there. Then in the next piece in Fagan Files 2, I wrote about this pending investigation before the, once again, the elections division, looking into a $500,000 donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon. That donation was made just less than a week prior to the November election in 2022 and helped, at least in part, fund mail pieces that attacked Christine Drazen, the Republican candidate for governor, in favor of the Democratic candidate for governor, Tina Kotek. The Democratic Party of Oregon initially reported that contribution of $500,000 as coming from a Nevada limited liability company called Living Trust. Later, when the media began asking about what this Nevada LLC had of interest before Oregon politics that would maybe lead to a half million dollar donation, the Democratic Party of Oregon hastily amended its filing to show that the donation was actually from a guy with the last name of Singh, S-I-N-G-H, Singh, was, at the time the donation was made, an associate of Sam Bankman-Fried, whom you may have heard is the target of and has been charged with a number of fraud-related cases related to a, those are federal cases, related to a cryptocurrency business that he ran 
allegedly defrauded people of millions and millions and millions of dollars. Bankman Freed was one of the top donors to Democrats nationally in the 2022 cycle. And the $500,000 donation from allegedly from Singh to the Democratic Party of Oregon is the largest donation to that party on record by any person. Singh and Bankman Freed are under negotiation by the Department of Justice, U.S. Department of Justice, for having made donations to political candidates and parties in other people's names, the allegation being that Singh, along with others, made donations that were actually coming from Sam Bankman-Fried. It's unknown at this point to what degree the Oregon donation is part of that federal investigation. But what we do know is that the Oregon Secretary of State, once again led by our friend Shamia Fagan, is theoretically investigating whether there was a criminal violation when Singh and or Bankman-Fried made a $500,000 donation to the Democrat Party of Oregon just prior to the 2022 election. So with that background, Fagan having violated the rules and terminated her employee because the employee wouldn't go along with violating those rules, and Shamia Fagan being in a close ally of the Democratic Party of Oregon, having received over $400,000 in campaign donations from that party over the years for her campaigns, I opined in the Fagan Files 2 piece that there's just no way that Fagan can fairly, impartially, and thoroughly investigate the $500,000 donation and that she and the Oregon Department of Justice, who's headed by another Democrat, of course, who's an ally of the Democratic Party of Oregon, needed to refer that out to an independent third-party prosecutor so that Oregonians could have some faith in the fact that an actual investigation would occur given the the size and the magnitude and the importance of the timing just prior to the midterm election of this donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon, which was admittedly incorrectly filed initially by the Democratic Party of Oregon. So that's the background. So fast forward to now, since Fagan Files 2 published, a couple things have happened. One is Shamia Fagan, having forced the termination of Deborah Scoggin and there being a vacancy to run the elections division, has appointed an, a woman by the name of Molly Woon, W-O-O-N, to that position. First as an interim, and now she has announced she will, she will appoint her as the permanent replacement of Scoggin in the elections division. As if out of a conspiracy theory novel in which one cannot believe that the, that this can actually be the truth, but it is, Woon, until two years ago, was employed as the deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon. So, and she, in her new position as the election division director, is directly overseeing the investigation into the Democratic Party of Oregon and whether it violated the law in a criminal fashion by accepting a donation of, in the amount of $500,000 and misreporting it. So, sounds legit, right? The Oregonian, to its credit, and Hillary Borud, who's a good reporter at The Oregonian, wrote a piece that published today, I believe, today being on February 1st, so yesterday. I'm recording on Thursday, February 2nd. This piece published on February 
first to Hillary's credit, she she went ahead and asked the Secretary of State's office, look, are you really going to have Woon, this former deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon, overseeing this investigation into the Democratic Party of Oregon? And of course, the Oregon Secretary of State's response was, yeah, sure, she's a fair person. She will look beyond any affection she may have for her former employer, and she will do a good job in Oregonians just need to look the other way. That's great that the Oregonian has picked up this coverage. It is, as I've written previously, a big, big deal in Oregon politics. I titled that Fagan Files Two piece a ticking time bomb for Oregon Democrats. And I I don't think I did so out of hyperbole. This is a big deal. It could be a big deal. Maybe everything's completely innocent. But at the very least, we know that the Democratic Party of Oregon received the largest contribution that it has ever received just prior to the what was expected to be a close election between Kotek and Drazen in the amount of $500,000 from a guy who is a known associate of an alleged crypto fraudster. That much we know for sure. And what we don't know for sure is whether the Democratic Party of Oregon committed any crimes in doing so. Relevant to that fact is the fact, as I described in that second piece I wrote, that this isn't the first time that the Bankman-Fried operation had been involved in Oregon politics. A number of months before the $500,000 donation was made, there was a, a federal PAC that had also misreported a donation from Living Trust LLC that had actually come from Singh as well. That federal PAC used those funds to help try to elect a different Democrat in the Oregon's third district primary. And it was publicly reported at the time that that donation originally reported as Living Trust LLC was actually from Singh and that Singh was actually associated with Bankman Freed. So by the time the Democratic Party of Oregon reported the $500,000 donation as coming from Living Trust, it was publicly known that a a similar donation had been reported as coming from Living Trust earlier in the year to this federal PAC and that that donation actually was from Singh and actually the federal PAC had to go back and amend its filing as well, which who knows whether the Democrat Party of Oregon knew about that at the time. It was certainly knowable at the time for anyone who, for example, happened to work in Oregon politics and especially happened to work in Oregon Democratic politics and happened to read publications like Politico, which is a national political outfit that covered extensively the federal PAC and the changing of the reporting from Living Trust to Singh in the spring of 2022, following the other candidates that are Democrats for the 3rd Congressional District, holding a press conference to draw attention to that issue and how outside money was allegedly interfering with their election. It was a big deal when this went down. It was a big story in Oregon and a not small story nationally that Bankman-Fried and Singh were involved in these races to a large degree. And it was known Publicly, I remember reading this myself in the spring of last year, that there was a misfiling, a misreporting of a donation that was from Living Trust and actually was from Singh. This was all known by the time the Democrats got that $500,000 donation. November of 2022, 
and quickly turned it around to help Tina Kotek win that election. Now, maybe that's all there is to it. Maybe there's nothing more to it. But do you trust the Oregon Secretary of State's office in light of what we all know now that Shamia Fagan, having received over $400,000 from the Democratic Party of Oregon herself, I would posit a committed partisan Democrat, which she's entitled to be, but that's what she is. She has her own conflict of interest, but then she appoints Molly Woon, a former employee, top employee, a former deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon to run the department that's, uh, that's running this investigation into her former employer. And the Secretary of State's office wants us to believe that it can properly, fairly, and thoroughly investigate this matter. It can't. It just can't. Any Oregonian who believes that it can is out to lunch, to be quite honest. It cannot. And neither can the Oregon Department of Justice, which is the agency to which the Secretary of State's office would refer a criminal investigation if they believe that there's grounds for it. And that's because, you know, Ellen Rosenbaum, who is the Oregon Attorney General, also is an ally of the Democratic Party of Oregon, of course, as are all of the statewide elected officials in Oregon, which is fine. People vote that way. They voted Democrat. Oregon's a Democratic state. But it's not fine when the Fox is allegedly investigating the hen house. And that's exactly what we have going on here. And there is no way that these guys should get away with this. There is no way that the media and the legislature should get away, should let the Secretary of State's office pretend that they can perform a real investigation of this thing. They need to refer it out to an independent, third party, nonpartisan prosecutor to do a thorough investigation. And maybe there's no grounds for criminal charges. We don't know that there is. But whatever comes out of the Oregon Secretary of State's office and whatever comes out of the Oregon Department of Justice isn't going to tell us whether there's a legitimate criminal issue or not because they are conflicted. They have a clear conflict of interest to conduct this investigation, and there's just no way they, they can fairly do it. They need to refer it out to someone else who has no partisan dog in the fight and can let Oregonians know whether there are any criminal implications for the Democratic Party of Oregon receiving the largest donation it has ever received just before a highly anticipated and close governor's election. There's all kinds of red flags around this thing, and Oregon's got to get this right. It needs to do it fairly, it needs to do it honestly, and it needs to do it thoroughly. We can't just sweep this under the rug, which is going to be the inclination of Fagan and her allies at the Democratic Party of Oregon, we can't let that happen here. We need to get to the bottom of what happened so that we know that Oregon elections are conducted in a fair way and impartially between the parties and between all the candidates and to have faith in our elections, right? That's what Shamia Fagan talks about all the time in election integrity. She loves some democracy, She has the tattoo that says vote with the little O being the shape of Oregon. And then she kind of plays fast and loose with her own rules regarding at least voter pamphlet statements and now wants us to believe that she's on top of making sure that the Democratic Party of Oregon did everything right with regard to this huge contribution they received just before the election. No way. 
not going to fly. And good for the Oregonian for getting on the story. I hope they continue to do that. And we will stay on this thing for as many Fagan files as it takes to get to the bottom of this, this really amazing story that could blow up into one of the bigger political scandals in the history of the state of Oregon. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. All right. On to another story. This, this comes from Lamet Week. And this story touches on something else that we've covered here at the Roundup, and that is population loss. We've covered fairly extensively that the state of Oregon lost population between June of 2021, June of 2022. And what that means for Oregon, really Oregon hasn't lost population in quite some time. Is it the beginning of a a trend or is it just kind of a one-time thing. We had on an economist for the state of Oregon who talked about the economic impacts of losing population and how that's a bad thing when it comes to the state budget, and I would argue a bad thing in many other ways. Willamette Week ran a story this week that talks about the fact that Multnomah County, which contains 99% of the city of Portland, people who live in the city of Portland constitute the vast majority of people who live in Multnomah County, has lost population for three years in a row. And this this article, again, kudos to Willamette Week for writing this article and pointing out that even a lot of these people that are leaving are actually liberals or progressives themselves. I think the important thing about the article is that it acknowledges some of the issues that Portland is having. I've certainly run into this other people who have pointed out kind of the safety and tax issues that are driving people out of Portland and Multnomah County have gotten pushback from some folks over there who say, well, it's not really all that bad. It's just Fox News that tries to highlight the, the bad stuff that's happening in Portland. And there's still plenty of great places in Portland, et cetera. I'm sure there are still great places in Portland. I know there are still great places in Portland. But you can't argue with the fact that the place has lost population three years in a row and good for Willamette Week for actually covering that in a pretty straightforward way. And they point out that people are worried about homelessness. They're worried about crime. They're worried about the taxes. They get into some detail about which taxes they're most worried about and talking about the fact that really the shine has come off of Portland. And this is important because what it will take to turn Portland around, and let there be no mistake, Portland needs to turn around. What it will take is for people who are liberals and progressives, which is to say almost everyone who votes in Portland, to acknowledge that things need to turn around there. Wrote a story a while back about how Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler's trying to do some of the right things when it comes to homelessness and mental health and just cleaning the city up. I think that's one step in the right direction, but he needs the support of voters over there who are not afraid to say, as the Willamette Week says pretty straightforwardly, that things need to change. Willamette Week doesn't say things need to change, but it sets the factual predicate for things needing to change. You can't get away with continuing to lose population year after year after year and still have a city that's vibrant. There was another story that was out today about how Portland Public Schools is in a financial crunch, they're cutting positions, et cetera. One of the reasons is is that all that one-time pandemic money has fallen through. But another reason is that they're losing students. And when you lose students under Oregon's school funding formula, you, you lose money for schools. And over time, you keep losing population. That's what happens to happen to places like Detroit, Michigan. You know, you lose people and you lose people and you lose people. 
And that's a very bad situation for the people who remain. Oregon cannot afford Portland to do that. We can't allow our biggest city, which is the center of most of the commerce in this state, the cultural center of this state, to go down the toilet in that way. We can't afford it to lose population and to become just a dystopian wasteland of the type that Detroit became for quite a while. Portland needs to turn around, and it's going to take more stories like this from liberal publications like Willamette Week, not just people like me and the Oregon Roundup who's saying, hey, things are a mess up there, you need to change it. You know, I think people that read the Oregon Roundup and listen to this podcast, most of them agree that things need to change up there. But there's a lot of people who read the Willamette Week who maintain that everything's just fine because they can't admit that the progressive policies up there have contributed to a situation that is untenable and that is being rejected by people who are voting with their feet to leave that city year after year. Things need to change, and more and more people are learning that over there, but more need to, and they need to start voting effectively. I'm hopeful that Wheeler can get things turned around, as well as new Portland City Commissioner Renee Gonzalez, who's a moderate, another moderate on the council. There's a growing momentum, I think, to doing what needs to be done in Portland, but there needs to be more coverage of it. There needs to be an acknowledgement that it's not a partisan thing to point out the fact that the homelessness and the crime and the taxes in Portland are a huge problem facing that city and all of Oregon. And hopefully it can get turned around. Finally today, you'll remember a few weeks ago, we had Kevin Dahlgren on the show, who is a Portland-based homeless outreach worker. We interviewed him on the podcast about his interview with a homeless woman named Wendy, who famously said it's a piece of cake to be homeless in Portland. That tweet that contained that video went viral worldwide. And there was a follow-up piece today that I saw. I think there's a number of good things that came out of that interview in that video. The first being that it's true that Portland makes it too easy to be homeless. To say that, it's not to say it's easy being homeless or that anyone wishes to be homeless but that Portland's, the suite of policies that Portland has in place are designed to make it as easy as possible for people to live on the streets and destroy their lives. And that's what Wendy talked about, was just getting high and eating and getting high and eating. And Portland and other, other cities in Oregon, frankly, make it too easy to do that. And they're contributing to the death and just destruction of these people's lives. It is too easy. So it was true, and therefore that's a good thing to publicize. But another good thing that's come out of it is that, so Wendy, it turns out, has family in in Utah, and because of the video Kevin took and publicized, that family became reunited with Wendy and actually came out to visit her and are trying to take steps to help her get into a better situation. And ultimately, that's what this a lot of this is going to take, right? I mean, family members are better situated, more inclined to actually provide meaningful help to people that are struggling with homelessness and addiction and mental health than is the state, than is the city. Kudos to her family for stepping up and trying to help her out. Part of the good effect of telling the truth about what's going on out there on the streets and cities in Portland and elsewhere around Oregon is that the message can get out that, hey, these folks need help. 
And it's oftentimes not the city or the state that isn't best, best situated to provide them that help, but their families. We need families to step up and help solve this crisis. We need people to take responsibility for themselves and their family members and to, to try to solve this. We cannot just rely on nonprofits and government entities to try to make this situation better. We need to take control of the situation and help when we can, too. That's what I've got this week. If you haven't subscribed to the Oregon Roundup podcast and newsletter, please do so on Substack. If you haven't yet subscribed to the Oregon Roundup podcast on your podcast app of choice, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, please subscribe to it there so you get it automatically downloaded into your podcast feed and don't miss an episode. And please give us a five-star review so that other people can discover this podcast and get to learn all the cool stuff that you get to learn. I want to thank editor and producer Stacy Hoblitzel for helping me put this thing together and making me sound a heck of a lot better than I would sound otherwise. And thank you for listening and we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.